Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud feels like I've said this maybe five straight times, but one, got a nice full show, hopefully for our listeners here in the middle of summer as we creep our way closer to the start of the season. Always nice to hit that uh, first day of August. Gives you a nice little benchmark as to where you are, what you have left. Uh, But another pretty significant addition for Florida State on the recruiting front that we will uh, jump into here and have a couple different things that I think will ultimately provide for a pretty good show for our listeners here. So as always, we'll thank our friends at uh, Tarpon Cellars, uh, great wine uh, providers that we're ever so fortunate to be able to work with. You can go to their website, Nolcast. Uh, we'll get you 20% off any of their bottles of wine and uh, fantastic company that uh, we've long since been in touch with and uh, are ever so appreciative of them rejoining the team here. So with that, bud, let's jump into another episode of the Nolcast. Nice segue, man. Speaking of joining the team, I know the FSU coaching staff is very much appreciative of Jalen Early uh, joining the team. Your four-star offensive guard prospect, number 199 in the nation, number 11 uh, interior offensive line prospect by the ratings we'll, we'll get into in a second. Uh, whether we think maybe he also can play some tackle, it could be some foreshadowing. Uh, but big time news there for them. Not unexpected, obviously. I think we basically talked about this for for a couple of weeks about how uh, they felt extremely good about about you know Jalen Early, basically a silent commitment, and uh, and how their offensive line recruiting board continues to grow, beat out a number of top top schools uh, for him, and from a really nice high school there in Duncanville, Texas. Yeah, uh, not unexpected. <clears throat> Certainly doesn't translate to uh, not appreciated isn't the right word, but uh, you know, not to be not celebrated. If I can't throw a couple double negatives in there, uh, just a like you said there, you beat out some really significant schools, schools that Florida State you know hasn't beaten out a lot in the last three or four years. Uh, significant prospect coming from like you said a. Uh, a, uh, you know, a, a program uh, that you can have a high degree of confidence. Uh, kid's going to be, you know, well-schooled school, and what's expected of them in the weight room and practice, uh, uh, review and tape, everything else. But uh, look, this may be, uh, you know, this may, uh, along the offensive line, this may be the commitment that I'm the most excited about. And I'm not positive if he's a guard or tackle. I mean, he's got a nice frame, moves well in space. Um, I could see him and, and play guard in high school, so I could really see him doing either. But this is a significant addition. Uh, again, hats off, you know, not as though we don't need to, you know, continue to praise the job that the offensive line coach and others have done along the recruiting trail. But just a fantastic addition, uh, job well done, and a, uh, a really significant addition to a class that has, a, you know, what, four or five weeks into fake momentum here, still plugging along and, and still adding uh, some really nice pieces to it. it. Absolutely. And look, if if you are going to be, and we'll get into Jalen Early specifically here in a second, but it, it, on the whole, if you are going to be the first six and six or worse team to sign a top 10 class in the early signing period era, which is what FSU is trying to do, which is what you and I both believe they actually have a shot to do, to do a lot of hard work by these coaches, due to playing time to sell, scholarships to give. And, you know, if they pull it off, it's going to be due to being kind of lucky that they have some <laughs> really nice legacies in this class, right? If you're going to do that, you have to land guys like this. And they did. We, we talked about getting guys in that 200 to 450 range. Jalen Early is just a little bit too good for that. He's number 199 in the 24-7 sports composite. 
He's a player I like quite a bit. Um, I have not seen him work out in person, but I read the scouting report from Gabe Brooks on 24-7 Sports, and I watched his huddle. I know you you've been pretty excited about this kid for a long time. Uh, I, I know Gabe, and he's a really picky evaluator, which makes him a good evaluator, in my opinion. And, and he's a guy who lives in East Texas, so I really trust him when it comes to Texas kids. And the first line in his scouting report that he, that he wrote uh, just – literally on, on July 1st, uh, was adequate height with good length. So, and he owns mass that makes him virtually college ready from a size standpoint. Uh, and then he r- writes basically like, could be a guard, could be a tackle. I I have, knowing Gabe, I bet you he has, he has a, a wingspan number on this kid that tells Gabe that he's lo- a little bit longer than his 6'4 height suggests. Like you see 6'4 and you don't immediately think a guy who can play tackle. And perhaps after watching his film, I would agree that he's not a surefire, like left tackle, leave him on an island type prospect that maybe Dr. Richardson perhaps could be down the line if he uh, if he develops well, the kid who they got about 10 days ago now. Um, but there's a lot to like. I think he's got really nice feet. He kind of drives through contact at times, which is nice. I think he's a dude who's fairly comfortable handling himself in space picking up guys at the second level. There are some clips where he peels off a double team pretty nicely. Duncanville pulls a lot, which FSU likes to get its offensive linemen to be mobile. That'd be a much more effective strategy for the Knowles if they had more offensive linemen who actually were mobile. Uh, but they're obviously recruiting uh, here to a type at some spots. Uh, at worst, he's a, a very athletic guard for you, I think. Uh, a nice compliment to Charlton and Sapp, who you already have, who, in my opinion, are guards. Uh, and at best, he's somebody who can perhaps play right tackle at a high level. And somebody, you know, Alex Atkins just has to be absolutely thrilled to get. And uh, the hat tip to Chris Thompson here as well, who has that connection to Duncanville from his time at TCU. Yeah, great program. We already mentioned that. Just to give you an idea, played, what, 16 games last yeah, year? Yeah, there were on 15 a team. and one last yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is not, you know, this is a as this is one of the programs that you can feel fairly confident you've got a, a ready-made kid, uh, not only in his – you know, physical stature, but just uh, expectations and and what he's gone through. It does look like he played the uh, offensive tackle as a sophomore, guard as a junior. So, uh, again, um, position I'm not too worried about. Uh, I'm pretty confident you got a, uh, you know, high level, uh, relatively speaking, high level offensive lineman. And uh, credit again to the staff for continuing to make significant additions to a class that, uh, as we said many times, this program is going to want to do what, uh, you know, 98% of our listeners uh, wanted to do. They've got to have a, a transformational class here. And this is another big step uh, towards making that come to a reality. And they have what five offensive linemen now. Can I have Charlton sap Richardson, Aluba, and Tavius Woody. Is that six? It's six. Yeah. I mean, dude, six offensive linemen roll the tape back from about what, two months ago. When we first started saying they could get up to eight guys committed in this class at once, and then they're not going to sign eight dudes. They know that they don't have they don't have room for eight offensive linemen unless just some other position totally collapses, which would be a kind of a not a good problem to have, you know, ultimately. But you got to think about this, this is an interesting thing. I want to bounce this off you. Maybe I'm crazy. Can you get a can you get eight offensive linemen to commit at one point if what you're selling is playing time? Because one of the primary things FSU is selling is playing time. I think they have been able to actually 
not crap on their current players, certainly, but FSU has a reputation right now for poor offensive line play, and it's deserved over about the last five years or so, for sure. But with that comes an opportunity to come in, start a new legacy, kind of you know, write the record, and play early. That is clearly what they're pitching to a lot of these kids. These guys want to play early. I, I do wonder, kids who are very interested in early playing time, are they likely to stay committed in a class with potentially eight verbal commitments at one time? And I will also posit to you, and maybe disagree with this as well, I'm interested to hear your feedback, This may, if you get a decommit or two out of this offensive line class down the line, it may not be the worst thing in the world because those could be the kids, in theory, uh, who you might be avoiding transferring out. Because think about the kids, if they're going to decommit now, you'd rather have them decommit than have them you know, hit the transfer portal after one year in the program in which you're not starting or playing significant snaps. Certainly. Yeah, we and we've talked to point two before I get back to your original one. We've talked a decent amount about, hey, let's go ahead and, to an extent, you can go ahead and have the competition before these kids hit, hit your campus. Uh, right. And that uh, may very well be coming together now. I mean, you still got uh, Pritchett. I've voiced my, uh, I don't want to say hesitations, but my, you know, I don't know what's going to happen ultimately with uh, Armella, but he's still on your board. You got the offensive tackle out of Auburn, Alabama. That's named Eston Harris. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, there, I mean, I could see, I could see eight momentarily committed. I mean, you're going to have to fight off. sounds like you're going to have to fight off Georgia uh, for Pa. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. But he's been a very verbal, I, I will give him credit. Like, yes, he did take some visits to Georgia, but he's also been actively recruiting for the Knowles ever since then. He has. Uh, he has. I, I am just of the mindset that when Georgia's involved with a kid, um, you know, you, I don't think it turns heat at any moment. It's not a guaranteed decommitment, but you just got to be aware that that school may be playing with a, you know, a couple cards in its deck that you don't have uh, when it comes to recruiting right now. So uh, to get to your first comment, you know, uh, we've talked all the time about, yeah, the most important years for many of these recruits is, is the three previous, you know, they, these kids aren't necessarily lifelong fans. What happened when they were sixth grade may be registered in the back of their mind, but not something that they're, you know, permanently focused on or are going to dictate where they go to school. And that can either, most of the time you want to sell that as strength. If you've got, you know, kids that have gone the first round at a certain position or whatever else, that's something you want to try to market to these kids. Um, in Florida State's situation with the offensive line, it's been as bleak as possible, and the national media has been nothing but accurate in describing it as much. And, uh, you know, when these kids were sophomores and freshmen in high school, you your offensive line was literally, you know, putting on an and one mixtape uh, for, for opposing defensive ends. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, getting kids, getting kids drafted a round and a half higher than they would have uh, prior to the Florida state game. So uh, I think you sell that you're, you're working very much with a, a known entity and the fact that you've had one of the worst offensive lines in the power five for the last three or four years. And uh, you sell this group that, you know, they're going to be a part of the turnaround and they're going to be the, the group that, you know, changes the, the way that the nation sees Florida State's offensive line. And so far, uh, we've already lauded tons of praises, but, you know, all, all the more directed towards Atkins and everybody else that's been able to uh, put this group together, uh, sell them on the vision and then follow through with as many quality commitments as they've gotten. Absolutely, man. So 
Again, FSU's class right now is seventh in the country, I believe, in the 24-7 sports composite rankings. You just jump back over Clemson. Clemson fans are, are uh, you know, all over the fact that uh, their recruiting class is, is now approaching Florida State, which I think is hilarious that that school is recruiting at the level that they are. And you know, the fan space certainly, uh, you know, still has an eye on you up there in the, the upstate of South Carolina. But, uh, yeah, great class so far. A uh, couple key pieces left that we'll talk about in a second as to, you know, what's out there. But, uh, you know, again, they've done a fantastic job during the summer. It's really been kind of a, a transformational point, something that we may look back in in two or three years as a as very much kind of a turning point for this program. And, uh, you know, not only did they get a couple commitments here and there uh, earlier, but they, they took that Travis Hunter, they turned Travis Hunter into Sam McCall. And then they've kind of used that as the, the foundation with which to sell and, and build the broader class off of, and they've done a great job of it. I tell you what, man, you can, you can put together some stuff with the class calculator, right? You, if you give them Marvin Jones and you give them Nigel Lee Kelly, right. And maybe they get Kevin Coleman, uh, who I don't believe camped at Alabama. So this is a, a level of optimism. I'm not familiar with that of Bud Elliott, but, and I know you're not projecting all these kids to Florida state, but if that were about the next two minutes, I am because (laughs) I'm going to prove a point here. You can play around with this thing. You know, you give him Jaleel Skinner, you give him Pritchett. uh, That's the Elijah Pritchett, obviously Uh, you give him who else? Uh, Eston Harris. uh, Pick, pick a kind of a four-star DB who you like. And you give him. So give uh, him little in this, in this situation. Oh, you want to give little Ingram is feeling good tonight. All right. All right. Uh, I cannot find Harris in the class calculator. Where the Ingram uh, vamp for me for a second here. So, got well, it. real quickly, uh, you mentioned Skinner. I don't think we've talked about this, uh, but Skinner transfers to IMG, which we think is probably only a positive for Florida State. Now, IMG is a different situation. All sorts of schools are going to have kids currently committed that can get in a prospect's ear, but it's never a bad thing to have a quarterback committed to. Uh, to your school and then a talented, you know, tight end wide receiver, whatever you want to classify Skinner as uh, joins IMG. And, and you have to think that that is a, only a plus for Florida state's efforts and, and continuing to pursue that kid. I completely agree. Um, now they do have a couple of Bama commits at IMG, maybe a couple more on, on the docket. So again, they are very much sort of in this, if Bama pushes range for, Kids that I would identify, uh, Skinner, Coleman, and Little. And I think if Bama doesn't push, they are setting themselves up to be in an absolute great position. And you know what? That might sound like a defeatist attitude, but we're not setting up dominoes here that are three or four deep that need to fall. We're really kind of setting up dominoes that are one or maybe in some situations too deep that would need to fall in order for those kids to not make it. And the the first domino there would be either the player wants to extend his recruitment for a little bit longer than Alabama wants, or maybe Alabama is just not quite uh, as into them as we're led to believe right now. We'll, we'll go ahead and, and see about that later on, but man, I, I played around with this class calculator tonight and, and I'm, I'm certain this is not going to happen, but if you give them Coleman, Marvin Jones, Jr., Jaleel Skinner, Nigel Lee Kelly, Elijah Pritchett, Earl Little Jr. And Eston Harris, that's 25 kids. 
Composite score of 292, which is pretty much good for a top five class in any given year prior, right? And especially good last year because you had the, the weird COVID year. Now, how do you square that with, uh, with the fact that no six and six or worse team in the early signing period era has found a way to have a top 10 class? I think the way you square that is having realistic expectations. I'm working on something for 24-7 sports. Not going to give you guys exact numbers and spoil it, but uh, I am rating the staying power of all the, the, the classes or of all the schools in the top 15 right now. And FSU is not going to have a score over 50% as far as staying at seventh or better. They're just not. Uh, based on history, the, the type of schools that they are fighting for these top targets. As of right now, they have had some kids uh, including the number one player in the country, Tra Travis Hunter now, because Quinn Ewers is reclassified, uh, which is awesome for Travis to be number one. I think he's a tremendous player, one of the best I've ever seen. Um, they have beaten out some schools that you think they're on par with. Now they have to go out and beat some schools, like we talked about, that are very clearly better than them right now on the field. And it's not really all that close. They're going to maybe have to beat you know, Clemson for a kid or Bama or Georgia or some schools like that. And that's not necessarily, or Ohio State, right? That's not necessarily all that easy to do. And yet, I still think they can become the first six and six or worse type team to finish with a top 10 class. They've sold their message really well. I don't think they're out there beating their chest on the recruiting trail, telling these kids how awesome they're going to be on the field this year. I, I don't know any kids out there who are saying crazy stuff about where they're going to be. And, you know, I don't want fans to be disappointed if their final ranking is lower than it is right now. Because finishing anywhere near 10th with the probable season that they are likely to have on the field, you know, five and seven, six and six, maybe, is a really big accomplishment according to all the data we have. Would be, <clears throat> excuse me, would be, uh, yeah, would be a massive accomplishment. And as we said, kind of, kind of a needed thing for this program to, uh, to change trajectories. And you, you have to make uh, one of your first or two classes kind of the class that you plant your flag uh, when you have a, a coaching turnover. And obviously, we talked about all the challenges that were present last year, and uh, you know, not really conducive for that type of uh, transformational class. So. The 22 class has been nothing but fun to talk about so far. And it is, uh, you know, certainly something that will effort to keep our listeners as, uh, as much on the, uh, you know, the cutting edge of what to expect as possible. So um, I do have some new business to get to. Yeah. Or well, I guess kind of some old business, but, but some new business. Uh, do you remember in the last episode when I was having trouble pronouncing uh, one of the Patreon members names? Yes. Yeah, and I uh, I asked quote unquote her to let me know uh, if, uh, if if the name is is pronounced uh, Rashia or uh, Rache because the spelling yeah. is is a unique one. Well, uh, he he actually yeah so he he sent us a message and he said hey good morning just following up with you guys to let you know my name is pronounced Rache uh, and I'm a male lol don't feel bad it happens a lot you all have a good one. So Rache, we certainly appreciate your patronage and uh, we, we do effort to get people's names right on the show. And, and I'm glad uh, that we are correct in multiple ways there, which is, which, which is awesome. Um, also we got, did you see the email, email inbox? We got another uh, road to 200 hashtag email. 
Shout out Fantastic. to William and Casey in Sop Choppy. Have you ever uh, you ever been out of Sop Choppy? I have not. No, I played in a charity golf thing um, with a guy the other day, and he uh, he, I I think he he ended up uh, getting back with a girl he dated from Florida State, and she was from Sop Choppy. And if you guys don't know, this is a really good you, you'll you'll get a good laugh out of it. And it's, it's a it's a nice slice of culture. Go to uh, go to YouTube after you get done finishing up the Nolcast list and type in, uh, and this is not a plug for a CBS show, despite the fact it worked for CBS, disclosure, disclosure. Type in Sop Choppy Worm Grunting Festival, 60 Minutes. I think it was on 60 Minutes. Um, festival. Or maybe C- just CBS. Yeah, CBS News. All right. Uh, so... You know, uh, Soft Choppy Worm Festival, CBS News. They they re-aired it in 2009, uh, I guess 40 years ago, 1972 report from uh, from Charles Kralt, who was a pretty legendary journalist. If you could find the 1972 one, it is tremendous, man. And uh, I think some folks ended up getting in trouble for taxes at the time, too, because they they were making a good bit of money, uh, more than perhaps they reported on that festival back in 1972. And uh, anyway, that that's a that's a thing. They actually, I don't even know how to describe. It. Have you ever seen people get earthworms out of, out of the earth? Uh, I mean, not anything more than just scratching the the ground level and you know seeing what's there, or if they've got a compost pile or whatever else. If there's a more elaborate process, I'm not familiar with it. All right, so uh, basically, they take I don't know what the devices are called, but they're like a um almost like a on tv from what i remember almost like a like a very very narrow uh like iron rod right and they take and they grind it up against a wood plank that they've driven into the ground and uh it makes a sound that simulates a mole coming to eat the worms and the worms rush to the surface and then they collect them and sop choppy which is down there in wakulla county which is like where um uh, nigel bradham's from among others Crawfordville, yeah. everything else. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're talking like Panhandle here. Uh, yeah, that they they did. A, CBS did a whole whole big uh, big festival on it. <laughs> Pretty cool. And uh, apparently, Wakulla County has some really special worms uh, as far as quality or uh, genus or species or whatever whatever you want to go with there. Okay. But anyway, don't say you don't learn anything listening to the Nolcast. Man, look at that. Don't say it, it. It's the off season. Like you know, during the season, we're like, man, I got like eight hundred topics I got to get to. We got to bang these all out. I, when I saw Sop Choppy, that email from, from Shannon, I knew I had to talk about that. Anyway, 844-FSU loan. That's what William and Casey called. Or I wonder who called me, William or Casey. We're sending them both T-shirts. Uh, 844-FSU loan, the road to 200. 200 NOLCAST listeners getting loans or refis from the team, with, uh, from the legendary team with Shannon and Chad. Just That's pretty awesome. I love our partnership with those guys. and Glad we have another happy customer to report. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll circle back to the topic of conference realignment as that uh, tends to uh, keep itself in the news. So Florida state president issued a statement today. I, um, you know, I'm not trying to be critical of Thrasher, but I don't know that this was necessarily needed. Uh, But so comments go as follows. I want to be clear. Persistent reports that Florida State has uh, been in contact with the Southeastern Conference are untrue. We have no communication with the SEC or any representatives of the SEC. Um, 
Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, this all stems from what a, tr- a tweet last uh, a couple days ago. Uh, Mark Ryan, a guy out of the upstate of South Carolina, tweeted Florida that, grad. Yeah, Florida grad, a guy that's been in. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Like, look, when you when you work in, in media and your media history is like Houston Market, Atlanta, upstate of South Carolina, that's not necessarily a, a progression of uh, of sorts. And I'm just, uh, I don't know. I mean, the, we can get into the conference realignment in general and where to to kind of place your uh, your chips of confidence as to where these reports come from and, and what to believe in them. But uh, Thrasher made a comment. Okay. I mean, that's, that's, uh, if we're going to be making a comment after every uh, Twitter remark that comes out associating schools in the next couple of years, this is going to be a, this could be a tough process, but uh, yeah, let's, let's touch on it real briefly. All right. So I think we should basically create a checklist for the fans at home, right. Uh, To, maybe just to figure out if the rumors that they're reading on the message board or on Twitter, or especially on Facebook, good God, uh, could, could be real or not. Right. Um, so the first thing I think we need to do is you need to ascertain, uh, what does this person typically deal in? Right. Does he ever break news? Right. Um, or what venue does he work in? Ingram, you've worked in sports talk radio, do you think that sports talk radio is likely going to be the source of the breaking news for the next round of conference realignment? Yeah. So radio guys, almost exclusively, you can disregard what they're going to say about conference realignment. Now, the exception is if you've got somebody like Jeff Cameron, that's been in a market for 12 or 13 years or something like that. But, uh, and also, Maybe Dan Patrick on the national scene. Yeah, a national, I think he knows somebody at the Big Ten. Yeah, if you have somebody like Patrick, e- even even then you get you get some he things had some big said on radio. This summer. Yeah, I'm I'm exceptionally skeptical that anybody in radio is going to break anything tied to conference realignment. It just doesn't. I don't I don't know of any instances of it happening in the past, and uh, radio people in general, and and this is somebody that's coming from a radio background. Uh, radio people in general get breaking news wrong f- four times uh, at, at, at every five times they take a crack at it. So I'd just be skeptical there. Totally agree. Uh, that if, if this if the report is from a sports talk radio station, I am almost certainly disregarding it. Those guys oftentimes have to fill 15 hours of content a week. That's tough to do in the offseason, man. Makes a lot of sense to put out some nebulous stuff that uh, really can't totally be, be disproven. Um, I'm also skeptical if you don't work in the industry, like if you used to work in industry, but now you go work in tech or something, but you used to kind of work for a newspaper, unlikely, unlikely, not impossible, but unlikely that you are going to be the type of person to break a story on, you know, a couple of billion dollar conference realignment deal. Just saying, uh, also this kind of fits in the same category. But people who don't typically traffic in, you know, what I would call real reporting, where they have some type of editor over top of them, uh, where they, if they get things wrong consistently, especially big things, they end up getting fired or they lose, you know, they lose their job or they get demoted. If you don't have skin in the game to where putting out something 
will not impact your job at all. That makes me very uh, unlikely to believe what you're putting out there because there's no real downside to doing so. If you have, if you have one of those situations, you can say, Oh, the situation changed. Okay, cool. But if you do that and you have an actual editor and a boss, maybe they're going to get away with like, you can get away with that doing that one time. If you had a source, then you kind of explain to them who the source was. Hopefully you have multiple sources on this, unless it's a direct source, but they're not gonna let you do that all the time. And it's going to be a major strike against you. And the next time you want to try to run something that's, that's crazy like that, they're going to be like, eh, no, we're, we're going to go ahead and hold off on this. Okay. That, that's, that's not really your lane. Stay in your lane. So that, that those are, are things that, that I look for, right? Needs to be somebody with some skin in the game. Preferably not sports talk radio doesn't like if you don't work in the industry, it's a major strike in my opinion, like we have the Kansas thing today. Uh, and then uh, somebody doesn't typically traffic in real reporting with sources and things like that. Uh, those would be concerns of mine. Also, I think on the, the nature of the report, if it's too vague or doesn't actually suggest action, then I think you it's basically not necessarily a report. For instance, I reported that Florida State would absolutely have interest in the SEC if it could get out of the grant of rights deal. Well, guess what? I actually asked a source about that. Someone who would know. Someone very high up at the school. And also, that person said, there's no way in hell we're getting out of this grant of rights deal. <laughs> you know? They're like, yeah, of course, if we can get out of it, yes, we would have interest in the SEC. Which... You know, Thrasher's statement doesn't necessarily disagree with, right? He just said there hasn't been any contact. Um, so, you know, too vague, something that can't be, like they, they want to put out something crazy vague so that the audience infers that there's been contact or that, that it's going to happen. That's not something that people who actually do reporting for a living typically do if they mean to do it as a report. I put that out there in response to a string of tweets talking about how conference realignment rumors get started. And I was like, watch this. I'm going to talk to a source. And then here's what the source said. Uh, I would say if there's, this is ACC specific, but it, it can also apply to other ones. If the report does not address how a school is going to get out of the grant of rights, or if there is an exit fee, which in ACC, there is no exit fee. It's just 250 million plus for 15 more years, essentially you know, total. Um, if there's no real plan on how that's going to happen, I think you could typically dismiss these reports. FSU and Clemson are not going to leave for the SEC solo. It's just not going to happen because the other 12 schools in the league would be like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and hold on to all the dollars you make off your media rights for the next uh, 15 years. Okay. Enjoy the SEC. So if the report doesn't really have any kind of plan for that, I think it's more just you know, pie in the sky, hopefulness, or trying to get some followers on Twitter or, you know, likes for your radio show. Uh, also, if there's no clear way that the result of the report would make more money per team for the schools that are already in a league, I think you can oftentimes dismiss it. With Rutgers and Maryland, we could at least see, even though those brands suck, we discussed this two episodes ago, I think, how they would absolutely pick up a lot more cable boxes back when cable boxes were, were the, the number they were all chasing to get the Big Ten network. Nowadays, if they had to start from scratch, they would not take Maryland Rutgers, I think pretty clearly. Uh, so if there's no real way that they would make more money for an existing school in the league, that's another reason to, uh, to disregard. 
out of these factors, how many do you think you would need before you would totally spike a report and just say that's total BS? Uh, I mean, if any of them are present, I'm going to be exceptionally skeptical to the point to where I'm not, you know, retweeting it, quote tweeting it. I mean, I, I understand that everybody wants to dunk on somebody, but at the same time, you have to realize if you're quote tweeting and dunking on someone, you're still spreading that message uh, to some extent. Um, yeah, I mean, all those things. Uh, the only other one I would add is like if there's something in the report that ought, like um, that automatically lets you know this isn't even a thing in play. I'll, I'll give you an example from a couple months ago when the Bob Stoops madness was going on. Uh, do you remember that somebody I, and I don't I'm not trying to slam anybody, but there was a report out there that and I don't even remember who this was, but that somebody was going to be coaching waiting uh with stoops coming in well that's not allowed or a thing anymore <laughs> right. so that's a problem that's a problem with the report if you're referencing something that is no longer in play in 2021 so uh yeah i mean i i don't think anything's going to move immediately here i think we're going to be in kind of a a period of limbo there's going to be tons of reports out about this um conference realignment is you know, crack is cocaine for a sophomore in the fraternity house. I mean, as far as a content consumption for a lot of people, particularly during the summer, uh, you can put anything out there in your social media or clicks or wherever you're trying to, you know, traffic uh, eye, eyeballs are, are going to pop. So I, you know, hopefully this is some kind of visual or verbal flow chart that you all might be able to reference uh, in the coming weeks, months, and years, because I, I don't think this is going to go away. I think this is something that uh, the extra category we could add here is report hinges on details that are provably false or yes. clearly illegal. That's right? a or better, uh, like that's, that's yeah, that's a, yeah. a better summary of what I was trying to say. Like Bob um, Stoops asked for something that is clearly against NCAA rules and in a public manner spike that report not going to happen right like that that's not going to be a thing um yeah anyway like i hope that that helps clear up some some uh you know some, some realignment stuff i'll also put out that uh, some people continued for some reason to challenge us on the idea that they, that you can get out of the acc contract by paying an exit fee and david hale in a, a report uh, noted that um that's not true there is no exit fee for the acc you just owe uh, the remaining rights fees, which he calculated uh, for um, for Clemson and Florida State would be over half a billion dollars. Combined, no, combined not each. So that okay. really jives right. with what we were saying of, of like for FSU, it's over two fifty. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So if those are all the no's, I do want to give you one category of yes, where if you see this come from a certain segment of the sporting population i would put a whole hell of a lot more credence into it and that is older established writers so if david teal for example tweets out that something's going on with the acc david uh, obviously has a significant relationship with a conference and uh you can have a large amount of confidence in that but do you remember this happened about 10 or 11 years ago and this is another example. I'll give you Tony Barnhart. For those of y'all that aren't familiar, Tony Barnhart was the lead writer at the AJC for college football when, when you know, newspapers were a, a massive deal in this field. And Barnhart has, you know, since bounced around and is kind of retired at this point. But Barnhart was actually quoted 
in a story about Missouri joining the SEC that an intern accidentally published early on the SEC's website. So yeah. Tony Barnhart, established writer, maybe violated some journalistic ethics there by not reporting on something that he was being quoted about. But again, that that is the type of person that if you see them begin to talk about movement in the conference realignment landscape, put a whole hell of a lot more stock into it than assistant program director at upstate, uh, you know, the South Carolina radio station. John Wilner in the Pac-12, uh, Brett McMurphy, especially on anything like relating uh, to uh, schools in Florida because of his, you know, his ties to Tampa or anything within the remaining Big 12 because uh, of everybody that he knows at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, there are certainly others. I, I think Pete Thamel, somebody who's probably not going to put total total BS out there. You know, I know a lot of the FSU fan base doesn't love him. Um, I, he's he's somebody who I think is pretty reliable. I think Ross Dellinger, despite the fact that he's not old, does a pretty good job, you know, with 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 that as well. Um, Stephen Godfrey, especially when it comes to some of the G five leagues, is more tied in there than a lot of guys. Obviously, uh, there, there's there's certainly more. I, I, you know, I'd be interested. Eh, I'm not going to say him. There, there's there's a couple more, and a couple have actually retired. But you got to be thinking about, and I think David Teal, as you mentioned, was great for the ACC. Maybe uh, Doug, Douglas Mary's at, at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Potentially, there's somebody in Texas that I'm who I'm sure I'm missing. But these are the type of dudes who can pull over or can pull aside the the conference commissioner for an unscheduled interview at, at ACC Media Day, or maybe no, maybe nobody at SEC just because you know Dennis Dodd obviously for CBS. I should not have forgotten him. Uh, that's kind of a, a no brainer. But like those are the type of dudes who are going to most likely sniff out that something is up there. I will say there are some guys who cover teams who will get stuff because they know, like they, they cover teams, but they're not just beat writers. Like they know people at the university. They've probably covered that team for a long time or went to that school and they have some cause to know people who are in, in the administration there beyond just, Hey, I'm, I'm a beat writer. I show up with my reporter and, and I write awesome stories about the quotes I get and the, the stories I come up with. Those people could have something in theory, but it, I don't think those people are typically going to have things that are uh, about multiple teams, right? Like, I don't know if they, if they would have all the details there. They might have the detail about one school, and then you kind of have to put the puzzle piece together. Yeah. I also, and not that we you know need to get too wildly down the rabbit hole, it is somewhat different as to it as to depending on if a school is leaving or joining a conference. Uh, if a school is leaving a conference, then you may that may come from a more team specific individual. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if it, if somebody is going to be announced as joining a conference, I would expect that to be kind of a more of a, uh, a you know national guy who gets that story and uh, breaks it. So uh, just one final thing. Uh, that I will comment on there. Uh, one thing that I'm always happy to comment about is Madison Social, but I was in Tallahassee uh, today and uh, was fortunate enough to drop in <coughs> on MadSo for a little bit of lunch. Unfortunately, I missed Matt Thompson, uh, but he, uh, you know, menu's always solid, fantastic uh, options. I, I went with a, a fat finger just because, you know, I mean, chicken tenders is uh, never anything to go wrong with Peruvian green sauce, 
uh, one of my favorite things that they do there. Madison Social, whether it be, you know, an unexpected lunch, uh, beer before a game, anything else, fantastic supporters of Florida State Athletics uh, have been with the Nolcast since the first day that we pressed record and always people that we're proud to brag about and are, uh, you know, fortunate to continue to work with. I think this is our six-year partnering with them. So hats off to them. Thank you for the support that you've given uh, them as our listeners, and uh, we look forward to working with them for many years to come. By the way, uh, did you see the report today? Again, a report from Max Olson, reliable guy in Big 12 country from the state of Texas, that the Big 12 is meeting with the Pac-12 uh, to discuss, uh, among other things, potentially a scheduling alliance uh, or you know, topics maybe up, up to and including a potential merger. I, I do not know what we're going to see there. Uh, we, may, we may see nothing at all. Uh, but I do know that ultimately, if the Big 12 teams up with the Pac-12, I think that's a pretty good thing for the ACC. And I could be wrong on this, and maybe you have a different take here. But the only real negative I would see for the ACC as far as conference movement going on around it that we haven't already seen so far, like the SEC expanding, would be is if the big if the Big Ten were to put take on a whole bunch of teams to become some massive quote unquote super conference before the before you know the ACC's grant of rights is is too uh, is too light right Big Twelve Pac Twelve joining up doesn't really take any possible ACC ter- territory that it's truly uh, likely to capture and it leaves open the Big Ten and ACC as sort of natural partners where most schools in the ACC are AAU schools, you know, it's Eastern seaboard and some of the Midwest with a little bit of the South sprinkled in not, not a terrible idea there. Again, Mm -hmm. not reporting anything. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves. Uh, I think the big 12 partnering with the PAC 12 is much better for FSU than it would be if the big 12 is going to partner with say the big 10. Yeah. Yeah. I saw where, uh, where Bowlesby said, I met with him. We had a good conversation and uh, there's nothing more that I'll tell you about it. So um, I, I wasn't aware of any other report, but uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. Translation. I, uh, translation. I'm exceptionally skeptical of this merger idea that's being thrown around out there. I mean, that that's just, even if you have similar TV partners, that that's just going to be, I don't know, maybe it's not as complicated as I think it would be in my head, but I, I think merging of conferences is something that's easy to throw out there and infinitely more complicated in practice. So just a random comment from me. Completely agree. Also, uh, if the PAC 12 was unwilling to take BYU the last time due to religious beliefs, scheduling difficulties, et cetera, there ain't no way in hell it's going to take Baylor. (laughs) All right. Yeah. That's a good Uh, point. Like with given all Baylor's history, just no, no chance. Um, yeah, that, that's just that's my comment on that. Also, uh, Bob Bowlesby translated additionally. Um, we're not going to do anything that might potentially jeopardize maximizing the payout that Texas and Oklahoma have to give to us if they want to leave our conference even a minute early. Yeah, that's true. That's a uh, <clears throat> that's an accurate interpretation of that as well. Um, so we got a couple of Patreon questions uh, about um, uh, LeBorn. Do you want you want to just hit that real fast? Yeah, yeah, we can touch on that real quickly. Uh, one final thing before we get away from conference realignment. Uh, and I, I, again, nobody knows anything for sure as to what's going to occur here. But 
I get a feeling that, uh, and look, this, the, you know, again, this may be something that doesn't occur for three years, five years, 12 years. Um, I don't know that there's necessarily going to be this drip, drip, drip of information. I, I think this may be something that you just hit would get hit with a press release or you, you know, you, the rumors pop up 48 hours before a press release. I don't think uh, what we saw 10 years ago, 11 years ago uh, with some of these schools is necessarily how that's going to play out anymore where, where you have this process of, you know, two to three months and, and ultimately something comes to fruition. The only, the only uh, way that I would see that happening is if you have kind of a movement at a school to where you're trying to get a more of a broader fan base behind the idea or trying to sell it on that. Uh, but I think moving forward, conference realignment will be something that, uh, you know, you, you see an official tweet about or something like that. And in 48 hours, you have a comment, you know, an official word from the conference. I, I don't know that this is going to be, uh, you know, some, some long drawn out uh, news cycle that maybe it was uh, again, what, what we saw uh, with the sec uh, with their additions of Missouri and Texas A&M and some of the other, you know, rumored going on that were surrounding that period of time. Makes sense to me. And I, I think you're, I think you're most likely going to be correct on that. Now I think we will still hear a drift group of rumors constantly because the rumors just absolutely pay off, but I yeah, I don't think we're going to see a drip drip of reporting because, as you mentioned, they have the lawsuit to figure out with the Big 12. They have the playoff expansion thing to figure out. And there are other dominoes that I think are going to have to fall before other leagues, other big leagues, figure out whether they need to make certain moves or not. The ACC would have 1 million percent done what the SEC did with Oklahoma and Texas had it had the opportunity to do so. But the Oklahoma and Texas are not dumb. They're not going to go to the ACC before the SEC turns them down. And in this case, the SEC did not turn them down. It said, yeah, come on. Let's, this is a, a no-brainer move for us. Yeah. Uh, before we do get to the LeBorn stuff, we will thank our friends at Congruity. Matt Lewis and his team uh, have been nothing but fantastic for us. Happy to uh, sign up, uh, or at least happy that this has been as successful as it has been uh, with numerous people coming on board uh, from the Nolcast listenership. A big thank you. For that, Congruity is experiencing your business optimized with highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. If you are interested in or looking for a PEO, uh, we certainly give them as a, you know strong an endorsement as possible. Reach Matt at Matt uh, at congruityhr.com or Knowles at congruityhr.com or via the phone 844-247-4100. Um, let me see here. Oh, so the LeBorn stuff. I did ask about that. Uh, one of the questions actually came from Shannon in the chat in our group chat. So uh, I asked about that and basically was told um, not in the plans as far as source I was talking to knows. Yeah, so, so um, he did. Also, uh, he didn't end up anywhere else, did he? Like, where, where, where did he transfer to? Well, he's at Florida State. He tweeted today uh, that he right, has a three seven GPA or something like that for this uh, semester since re-enrolling. Yeah, so um, that's great for him. I mean, look, that's I hope it works out. Uh, very talented kid, and if it's a kid that's uh, jumping in the classroom and getting a high three GPA, that's fantastic, and hopefully will lead to additional opportunities for him. It just doesn't sound like, at least for now. Uh, that you're going to be seeing him, you know, wear garnet and gold anytime soon. The interesting thing here is that uh, 
on March 28th, the transfer portal uh, had him going uh, to Garden City Community College in Kansas. Like, I don't, did he ever go there? I, I don't know, like, how, what semester would he have been there? Right, yeah. That, that March 28th, unless this t- is a report that's like two months late. Yeah, a turnaround that doesn't otherwise make sense. Uh, so... Yeah, it's telling that he didn't end up anywhere else, right? Uh, and I, I do not believe, according to my people, that uh, um, that he's going to be in the plans. Oh, on August second, he he uh, he wrote that he got his associate's degree. Okay, wasn't he class of twenty seventeen? Uh, yes, yeah, he was. Well, so wait, if not earlier, wasn't he? Uh, no, I think he would have been in that seventeen class. Because, like, he was on campus. He would have been on campus for Jimbo's final year, which means he was he, he was in the 17 class. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was a 2017 uh, – I mean this in, like, the least demeaning way possible. I want to make this clear. How in the hell are you just getting your associate's degree on August 2nd if you enrolled in the fall of 2017 and have been an active student basically since then, I guess? Yeah, that's uh, not not somebody that racked up too many hours, evidently. Uh, You know, I mean... He was dismissed when? Last summer? So he... uh, Yeah, entered the... Transfer portal officially uh, July 29th of 2020. And yeah, I mean, he was dismissed on the 28th. So uh, that's, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I honestly, I hope he gets his degree. I just, that, that, the timeline of that struck me as weird. Like, even if you're full school year 17, 8, so 17, 18, 18, 19. 19 to 20 that's six semesters deep plus these guys are usually on campus for summer was he an early enrollee i it's hard for me to remember uh no he was a summer enrollee remember what happened last week uh, but still that's six semesters and and two summers to just be getting the, the associate's degree on august 2nd is uh yeah, that's tough, man. I, I really really hope he gets this degree. As far as I know, he's not in the plans for them. Yeah. Well, you know, anytime you got five stars next to your name uh, in high school, you're always going to have uh, a lot of people pay attention. And, and there's certainly bits of rumors recently that, uh, you know, he might be in play. But like we said, as of right now, not something that I'd get your hopes up uh, a whole lot for. Oh. Um, anything else we wanted to touch on tonight, bud? Uh, let me see here. We had we had a couple Patreon questions that came in surrounding conference realignment. It's not that I don't like these. It's just that I I don't I feel like sometimes these suggestions are just so uh, they're just so like not realistic. I feel like I, I can just kind of shoot them down um, within the first couple sentences, and then it makes me feel like I'm I'm being you know negative here. Uh, oh, I have some positive stuff. I think the staff is more optimistic about Jerome Willis than they were a couple weeks ago. Hmm. Okay. Um, which look, having just 
Eubanks and uh, and Omar Graham committed after being on st- on staff for 20 months at the linebacker position. That's not encouraging. Getting Jerron Willis, I think, would help a little bit. So. Willis is, uh, for those of you that don't follow recruiting at the level that others do, he's the kid that uh, is teammates with uh, Sean Sapp out of the Lee County uh, area and uh, has described Florida State as his dream school, but is currently committed to Georgia Tech with uh, some thoughts of him trying to play safety there, which for a At kid 235 pounds. Yeah, for which kid's 6'2", 235, and hasn't played his snap of senior year of uh, football projecting to a safety is uh, hard for us to see come into fruition. But There's uh, a joke I can't make here, but I'm going to text it to you, and I, I do kind of want to get your uh, – uh, don't fake laugh at this. Well, there's a, I mean, linebacker has to be addressed. You know, you, you need to do a better job there. Uh, get some decent kids in and, and then you really need to kill it in 2023. And uh, yeah, that's your phone. Uh, I did. And I agree with that. That is, uh, you know, we can, we can all see ourselves as a, as certain things and uh, you know, Willis can, like, like you said, you can have have an eye on playing safety, and really in today's ball, outside linebacker and safety, the lines are pretty blurred there. I think uh, you should be able to sell a kid on, uh, you know, both what's doing best for him and, uh, you know, playing in a manner that uh, he wants. Obviously, somebody that wants to play in space and, you know, wants to display his athleticism, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it is good to hear if they are more involved in Willis and maybe feel a little bit more uh, optimistic as to what might come from that. Oh, so here's a question for you. Um, do you find it interesting that this, or do you read into this? The staff seems to be willing to sell some recruits on the position that they identify as, right? For instance, Jaleel Skinner, the staff doesn't even use the word tight end with him, mm-hmm. right? It's all receiver, 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 even though we at 24-7 Sports absolutely believe he's a tight end. Having seen him in person, I think he's a tight end. Now, I mean, you can use him. I guess is a jumbo receiver, but you know, okay. Uh, but if, if Josh Burrell is a receiver, I guess Jaleel Skinner is a receiver. They both look like tight ends. Um, it's interesting that the staff is willing to sort of find roles that match the kids wants for some kids, but they're not willing to tell Jerron Willis that he's a safety. Do, do you read into that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do read into that and I, you know, I think that there's certain level of prospects that you will uh, kind of play the position game. And, and and not that Willis is not a desirable prospect. I mean, uh, you know, a four-star prospect. I believe you guys have him in the top 150. Um, so obviously somebody that uh, is a desirable prospect and that you want on campus. But I think there's some prospects that you want to have a clear – uh, I don't want to say honest, uh, but yeah, yeah, clear ideas to where they want to be. And if you can plug them into that, and then there's other kids that are exceptionally talented and uh, you know, you're more than willing to try to get them on campus, let them uh, try in the position that they want with the idea that hey, if that doesn't work out um, maybe you transition more into the position that we have in mind for you. And uh, ultimately good things come, but uh, no, I, I had heard that about Skinner and that doesn't, uh, necessarily surprised me with their word choice with him do you want to uh you want to take one long question from from uh from dean from the patreon account i think it's kind of interesting yeah let's do please all right 
So, uh, by the way, he, he and his family are a big time uh, Mad So fan and are addicts of Louisiana hot sauce. So that's a good way to get the question answered. Uh, he writes, gentlemen, no apologies, but this is a long one. Non-SEC conferences are going to need a strategy in addition to realignment for dealing with the SEC in the future. If I may, could I have your thoughts on the following possible scenarios? Uh, one, there seems to be a chance that out of greed and ego, the SEC may have shot itself in the foot by adding Oklahoma and Texas. The SEC has told us for years ad nauseum that they are the strongest conference and their interconference schedule is a gauntlet to get through. Yet they have added uh, to that tough interconference scheduling by making a conference champion in the SEC face either of the two new members, Oklahoma or Texas, each year. Those will not be easy wins, certainly. Uh, continuing, it would seem that the pro uh, probabilities of an undefeated SEC champion are seriously reduced and that the additional teams in the SEC would have more than one loss. This is, of course, pitted against the other conferences whose members have a higher probability of having undefeated seasons or fewer losses, as we have seen the last several seasons. Then, if we do not go to a 12-team playoff because of the SEC expansion, another shot in the foot by the SEC potentially, the SEC has created a substantial risk of inadvertently limiting the number of teams in the, uh, in the SEC that may actually get involved in, in the playoff. This is especially true when you consider that with a 12-team playoff, the SEC was looking at having a minimum of three teams in the playoff each year. Essentially, Texas, Oklahoma, and the other SEC teams have made it tougher uh, for each of them to become involved in the championship. You know, Dean, I, I think you have a point to a point, but I think there are some things that are going to, going to factor in here. Number one, uh, this is pretty ironic in some cases, but I believe you will see ESPN and the SEC, not coincidentally, together, begin to beat the drum of resume, not record. This is something that we have asked for for a long time. In many years, some 9-3 and three team is actually a better quality football team than a 12-0 and 0 team, right? But the 12-0 and 0 team just played a bunch of nobodies. We, we've certainly seen this happen, you know, quite a bit. This is not to justify the nonsense where they had Mississippi State, number one, for three weeks in a row in 2014. That, that was just, you know, overrated SEC stuff. But I don't – this is certainly not a shot in the foot for the SEC in the, in the long term at all, in my opinion. I think it's a brilliant move by the SEC. It's a move that any league would have made. But for now, I think that they will have a hard time getting three teams in to a four-team college ball playoff. I think it probably does increase the chance they get two in if those two have a really good record because they're going to absolutely say – you know, how much harder this schedule is. And with them going to a nine-game nine conference schedule coming up soon, I think they'll have a pretty damn good point about that. But I don't think a lot of these other leagues are real rushing to get to a 12-team playoff right now, especially because they likely view it as, you know, Greg Sankey was pushing for a 12-team playoff with a different set of facts, a set of facts that had his, his league <laughs> with the two best properties of the league uh, managed by another guy in that room named Bob Bowlesby. But yeah, I ultimately, I don't think this is a bad move for the SEC at all. You could have some short-term externalities or kind of funny business, I guess. What What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see them getting more than two as long as we're in a four-team playoff uh, format. I mean, I just, uh, again, you can have some crazy things happen and, and uh, certainly ESPN you know, will be aggressive or perhaps, you know, perhaps unabashed in uh, promoting, uh, you know, the, the product that they have such an investment in, particularly now that they've taken that 330 spot 
Um, but I don't see them getting more than two. I don't, I don't necessarily see, I mean, maybe I, I don't really see a situation where Clemson or Ohio state is going to stumble so much that they aren't, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the dance at this point. And, um, you know, maybe that's, maybe another school comes up in the big 10, but label me very skeptical that the sec would be able to have three of the four playoff teams. All right, number two from Dean, and this, we'll go ahead and end it on this one. In self or in self defense, and in the interest of creating matchups that make more money for their teams, might it be that non-SEC conferences mysteriously, no collusion, of course, elect to increase the payments for the SEC to obtain non-SEC opponents for their games? So price fixing against the SEC. It would seem that the SEC will be in a real need for apparently fluff games, yet not have to go below the FBS level. Supply and demand could be a wonderful thing for non-SEC conferences. Um, oh, please let your sponsors know that we as Noel listeners appreciate their support. Dean, for sure. Absolutely, man. We really appreciate that. Um, so on this one, you sort of have a prisoner's dilemma issue, I think, man, because it's nice to say, hey, we're going to charge a lot more for SEC teams to play us. But Akron's going to need that check. And they're like, oh, man, I know I said I wasn't going wasn't gonna to eat that cookie, but guess what? Right. I'm yeah. going to eat that cookie. I mean, that's just uh, – you can you can make pledges, but ultimately if an SEC school comes with a big paycheck and, you know, a school like Akron, it could be five years before they play a game with as many eyeballs as are on it as when they, as when they play in, in Alabama or, or you know, most of the SEC properties. Uh, I just – I don't see some kind of, uh, you know, scheduling a collusion surrounding the, uh, the scheduling as Dean has suggested there, something that would, you know, ultimately be able to be held up or, or bought into. 100%. All right, man. Um, I hope, I hope the conference realignment stuff doesn't bore y'all. I, that's probably like 90% of the questions we, we've been having recently. We'll have uh, some season preview episode series roll out pretty soon. Excited about that. And uh, with that, really appreciate y'all's support. The Nolcast, five stars on iTunes, five star written reviews, or even better if you enjoy the show. And we'll see you all, uh, see y'all very soon.